from secular communities, empowered by reason and connected by compassion. This is the Oasis Network Podcast. All right, so our feature speaker for today is uh, Tom Alonzo. He is Secretary for Equality Kansas in the uh, Metro Kansas City area and the second district representative to the Human Relations Commission for the Unified Government of KCK with the featured presentation, The Latino Experience in the LGBTQ Community. So please welcome Tom Alonzo, everyone. Can you all hear me? Um, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to tell you about the Latino experience, you know, as far as being a gay person goes, because um, my life has been throughout everywhere, okay? It just, that's just where my life led me. Um, my mom's white, my dad's Mexican, his family came to the United States in the 1920s. Um, my mom's family's been here since the 1850s, 1860s in Southeast Kansas. So, um, let me follow my script here. I was born in the late 50s, okay? I was born at uh, St. Margaret's Hospital, right across from the Liberty Memorial. I used to always tease my mom, that's why I'm gay. Because <laughs> Liberty Memorial was over there and it was throwing rays in at me. She learned to appreciate that joke. I didn't grow up with, we didn't grow up with, uh, racial expl expletive or anything like that naturally. And also words like homo, queer, faggot weren't used in my house or in my, any of my relatives' house. So that was a phenomenon that was made known to me when I became a teenager and we moved out of the hood over into what uh, Midtown KCK, which at that time in the 60s was all white, except for a couple of black kids that I went to school with. In those days, though, in Kansas City was pretty much um, a quote-unquote white city with a lot of black people living in it, right? Nowadays, I mean, when you look around, I didn't know what Chinese food was till I went in the military and I was in San Francisco for a while, or uh, Monterey, except La Choy in the can. <laughs> but, um, and now look what we have. I mean, we have everybody here now. Um, in KCK, the school district has kids speaking 40 different languages. So there's a big challenge now with a lot of different people. Um, my first few years of life were in Armourdale. I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, but we lived in Kansas. And um, I, the first memories are when I was three when we moved to Rosedale. And Rosedale at that time... There's a big Mexican restaurant there now. It's the corner of uh, Rainbow and Southwest Boulevard. That was a big hill, and it had a street that was all white. The street down the other place was Mexican, and the other street was black. So I went to school with all different kinds of people. And I didn't really notice a change in us until we, Urban Renewal came in and took all of that out by 1966. We were the last house there. So I didn't really have any issues with racism till we moved to Midtown. And then it changed. And all of a sudden, I heard all these words I'd never heard in my life before. Spick, taco bender, beaner, you know, things like that. Um, I, I remember one time, this is kind of a funny story because this is on the white side of me that didn't used to get recognized very much. It was in 67 or 68... 
Whenever the troubles started in Ireland, my mom was a big, maybe it was 69, uh, my mom was real proud of her Irish heritage. She sent us to school with little shamrocks on and it said Aaron Gobra on it. You know, nowadays everybody knows what Aaron Gobra means, right? Pretty much, Ireland forever. Well, the principal took that as some kind of political statement and called my mom and sent us all home, kicked us out of school for wearing these things because it was a political statement. So it was just kind of one of those weird experiences on the other side of, my, of who I am. For, um, to understand a little bit more about the Latino community here in KCK, we're pretty small, about 6% until recently, and now in KCK, it's about 30%. And, you know, KCK has probably uh, been identified as Wyandotte County as the, one of two of the most diverse counties in the country. I mean, even outside of Los Angeles, because now white people don't make up the majority in Wyandotte County. Fort Lauderdale, Hillsborough, whatever the county that Fort Lauderdale is in, that's another one where white people no longer make up the uh, majority. And I hope nobody takes any offense about me using the term white people, because I'm half white, my mother's white. I'm just talking about my experience. Um, So they bought a house, my mom and dad bought a house in Rosedale, 1960. My dad was in the... uh, Navy during World War II, and he bought the house with GI Bill. I don't know if you all know what that is, but in the old days, uh, it was a good way for a lot of people to get into home ownership and get your education, too. And I think I'm not connected with knowledge very much about how the GI Bill works now, but it, I don't think it's as gracious and generous as it was in those days. You have to remember that for the Latino community, they were pretty restricted. Um, Until the 1960s, you couldn't buy a house west of 7th Street in Armourdale. So everybody was relegated to one particular part of Armourdale. I don't know what the rules were in Argentine. The other thing was, did you know that Mexicans weren't allowed to go to high school until after 1938? The rule was that um, when you, if you were Mexican, once you got finished the eighth grade, then you went to work, because that's what Mexicans do. Um, Daniel Serta, a local historian here in uh, the Kansas City area, gave a really nice, Barb, you were there, um, overview of uh, Latino history in Wyandotte County. And most of Latin people came up here to work in the packing houses or for the railroad. My, pa- my family was here for the packing houses. Armourdale was named for the Armour Packing Company. Um, so my dad was the first generation born here in the United States in the home, and on his birth certificate it says Mexican. So when I was born, my mom made sure that they put white on it so that because she knew that there would be problems. And I guess in those days, they did put other stuff on there, but I don't know if it was other or brown or what, you know. Um, but I identify as Hispanic, Latino, whatever, since, uh, since I was in the Air Force, because I think that best defines who I am. Um, my mom and dad's marriage wasn't a happy affair for my grandfather. 
He passed away when I was five, but is very racist. But it's funny thing about grandchildren, they seem to bring people together. And I've worked with people at the IRS that have mixed race grandchildren and they love those kids. They don't like the person that's not white that made help make those kids. But, but in, on the other hand, I've seen a lot of people come around too because of that. Um, Also in the 1930s, 1920s, 1930s, um, Mexican kids had to go to certain schools. We never had to experience that, thank goodness, but Mexican kids had to go to certain schools in Argentina and Rosedale. There were even a couple of race riots as a result of kids going to the wrong school. I mean, literally, where people showed up ready to, and did beat some people up in order to make sure that everybody went to the right schools. So there is a lot of history of segregation in Kansas City, Kansas, and a lot of people don't think so because it was a northern state, it was Kansas, you know, or that segregation only applied to black people. It's not true. Um, so I'm going to jump to uh, when, uh, when I was in school, um, the, the issue of being gay didn't really come up because I could hide it really well. You know, you learn how to do that. I see other kids getting beat up or whatever, and I learned from that and, and behaved to not get attention. So a lot of times I was real quiet um, so that I didn't draw any attention towards myself. And it worked for most of the time that I was in school. And then I went to a, um, a counselor to get ungay. And... and well, <laughs> it didn't. And it's, it's good. It's good. And the counselor was good because she told me she couldn't do that. She couldn't. And this was like right after 73 when the American Psychological Association um, made being gay not a disease. I, I don't have good uh, terminology for it, but I see Daryl shaking his head, so I must be saying it in an understandable way. Um, so I went to this counselor, she's very kind, very open. She said I had two choices. I could learn to live with who I am because this is who I am, or if I insisted on being not my authentic self, she could teach me how to do that too. Nowadays, most reputable, reputable mental health people won't do that. You know, they will help you work into living your authentic self, which by the way, if I might go over here for a little bit, we are going to be pursuing a uh, city ordinance, a city county ordinance in Wyandotte County to eliminate uh, conversion therapy like Kansas City, Missouri did. <laughs> that, that makes me really proud because I've already got people that are in, in good positions that are willing to have contacted me actually wanting my help and Equality Kansas's help to get that going. And I think that we have a strong group of progressive people over there that will do the right thing. We were the first county in Kansas to pass a countywide non-discrimination ordinance. I mean, we were the fourth city, but the first countywide, no other county in Kansas. So they have a, there, ha there is some progressiveness over there and I'm, really hoping to get this conversion therapy ban going. I was so proud that Kansas City, Missouri did it. 
So, okay. Um, so anyway, I took the information the, the uh, counselor gave me, and that was kind of starting me on the road of thinking, I don't have to get married, because we didn't have same-sex marriage in those days, right? And I don't have to have kids. And it's not that I don't like kids because I love my little grandnieces and nephews, but I just always knew I wouldn't be a good parent. You know, I just always knew it. So for all of y'all that have kids out there, thank you. Thank you so much. And I love kids, by the way. Um, so I went into the Air Force, and I lied to get into the Air Force. And at that time, I was going to KU. I, was, I wanted to be in the state... Uh, work for the Foreign Service. I had Spanish, French, and German under my belt from high school. I went to college at KU to learn Russian, and I entered into the Air Force to be a Russian linguist, too. So I get in, I get through basic training, I get to Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California, eight months, and boom, I got an appointment to see this guy from Naval Investigative Services. And I go down there, and he'd come all the way up from Los Angeles, so I knew I was in trouble. And, but he was very kind. And he explained to me why he was there, and he said, basically, he said, did you go to a counselor about being homosexual? I said, yeah, I did. And he goes, well, he said, there's really not very much we can do to you because you didn't admit to any activity, you know, um, I just went there talking about changing my thoughts, changing, you know, I didn't talk about actual experiences or anything. So he said, I had two choices. I could get out on an honorable discharge or I could take another job with whatever, wherever the Air Force put me. And I was really, the, you know, you, a lot of you, I'm sure, understand the shame that you go through and that you're going to be exposed to your family. You're going to be... Um, disinherited, you're going to be um, a disgrace, right? So I, I opted to continue because I don't want to go home and explain to people why I came out early, right? Why I was kicked out early. And this was after eight months. I was almost fluent in Russian. They spent $50,000 on me to teach me Russian. It still kind of chokes me up a little bit because at the time I thought they ruined my life you know, because that's, I wanted to work for the Foreign Service, I wanted to uh, be a translator, etc. But actually it just, you know, when s stuff like this happens, it just sends you on a different uh, trail, doesn't it? A different road, and you try to make the best of that road, and, and what happened was I morphed into an accountant. I was working in a fuel yard, pumping gas, working on the flight line, refueling aircraft. Me, I was a skinny little kid back then, skinny little kind of soft kid, as they would say in those days, uh, hauling these uh, things up to the jet aircraft and fueling the aircraft. It was pretty butch in those days, you know. And I was actually really kind of enjoying it, and, but I really liked numbers and I had an affinity for it. And uh, to make a long story short, I got out in 85. I've been working for the IRS since 86 as a tax analyst and a manager and all kinds of other stuff. The gay stuff never came up in the service. Now, you know, like I said, I learned how to, to behave 
so that people wouldn't bother me. So people, I saw other guys getting bullied, getting bothered. People getting, they, one year, 1983, somebody ratted on somebody and 20 people disappeared overnight from the Tactical Air Command uh, dormitories, which is another reason, this is another thing, is like, it was a very lonely life because I was afraid to be friends with anybody. Who's going to tell on me? Who's going to say that they saw me at the bar? You know, and that's another unhealthy part of it. When you don't have friends, when you're uh, looking for love or whatever, you you can engage sometimes in some very very unhealthy physical and mental activities, addictions, etc. And when I finally came out to my mom in 1984, she said she saw the weight of the world lift off of my shoulders because I was such an angry person, angry with everybody, angry with everything. There was no hope, you know. And after I told her, I felt that hope come out. I felt that hope come back. I felt, you know, as evil at that time, I thought, as evil as the world is, you know, the Russians were going to blow us up. Um, We were going to be at war with somebody, you know. I had finally had my freedom, my authenticness, you know. There's a lot of talk nowadays in the trans community about living your authentic self, and I really understand that, you know, because for so many years I didn't. So, again, going back to the, my experience with the Latino community being gay, my family wasn't, um, it wasn't an issue for my family, you know. It wasn't talked about. It wasn't made fun of. But I find out later in life, my aunt, who is a couple years older than I am, uh, she had a partner for 32 years who just passed away three years ago. And she told me that a couple of the people, and she didn't name names, which I appreciate, um, of people saying when she would have a mistake or something bad would go back for that it was Linda's fault because Linda talked her into doing this shit. Pardon me. That always gets me when people say, well, who talked you into that? Well, my sister-in-law once said, the guy down the street, his wife left him because a woman at work turned her gay. And I said, well, let me ask you something. I said, how easy would it be for somebody to turn you gay? Well, and then all of a sudden, it's a different... You know, I said, years ago, I begged people to turn me straight. Nobody was able to do it. (laughs) You know? I mean, I just, that anger and that, um, she was angry that the guy was getting divorced and that the, the mother left the child. So what I tried to explain to her was, can you imagine the pain she must have been going through to leave the child behind? You know, I think a lot of people don't understand when you force people, I don't want to get preachy, to make decisions like that or scare them away. You know, they're in terror, you know. Um, So when I became a manager, and this is, I got to stop because my time's out, so I'll hurry this up. When I be, thank you. When I became a manager at the IRS, I promised myself that I was going to do something for the LGBT people and anybody else that needed help, too. And I think I got to do a lot of cool stuff. And I'm really grateful for that. And I, 
was in the closet for a while, and then one day I just decided, screw it, you know. Um, I haven't had any female companions other than friends, so, and I'm in my late 30s, so who cares? And I came out and out and out and out, and now everybody knows. Um, we're, we're trying so hard to get more people of color interested in Equality Kansas and in other LGBT groups. I can tell you the Central Avenue Business Association and KCK that has lots of done a lot of work with the Latino community has welcomed us, the Equality Kansas and the LGBTQ community with open arms. I'll tell you another interesting thing too is when we were pushing the ordinance, the non-discrimination ordinance, we, one of the fears for some of my colleagues was the Archbishop Nauman of the Kansas City, uh, Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas would send his minions. Well, there wasn't a peep from them. We passed the ordinance nine to nothing, but yet this, and I don't want to start picking on anybody, but this one church in Shawnee is just absolutely evil. And they have been out in droves um, saying hugely nasty and untrue things, you know. And Shawnee still passed it, what, five to two or something like that? They still passed their NDO. That it seems like there's a really interesting correlation sometimes in uh, poorer, less educated communities, sometimes, not all the time, with the more of a live and let live attitude sometimes when it comes to some of this. I've seen a lot of homophobia in the black and Latino communities, and I've seen a lot of acceptance. There's one thing I think that transcends some of this, those attitudes of homophobia, it's family. And for as screwed up as TV makes our families look, you know, single mothers, uh, tradition of poverty, which are, so there's some truth to some of that. When you're poor, you don't have the same opportunities and you get uh, acclimated to different types of negative experiences sometimes. Not true for everybody, but it can be for a lot. But family, family seems to transcend everything for a lot of people. And the other thing was we didn't grow up with rabid religious um, enforcement. We did go to church. We went to church a lot. I loved going to church in those days, you know. But it didn't have um, where some of my other friends beatings or whippings or punishment uh, and God's going to do this to you and God's going to do that to you. Um, I kind of years ago got to the point where I rejected and I don't want to get into this too much, but I reject the, the God of the Bible because it was too um, contradictory and too, and there was too much association of something that's sort of like magic with it, you know. So I think that makes a big difference in my experience than it does for other people. I know um, the, also the Hispanic populations that, are, that we're seeing now in KCK, they're not all Catholic anymore. We have... Pentecostal, Methodist, Presbyterian. I don't know if you know Pastor Barron's over in KCK with the Presbyterian uh, Grandview Park has a huge Latino. Uh, but what I'm saying is it's not all Catholic anymore, you know. 
Um, we got those guys on the streets screaming that we're all going to hell in Spanish now instead of, <laughs> instead of just English, right? So you get, get your choice if you drive down on a certain day. But I think we didn't have that, uh, the really negative experience. And as a result, I think a lot of my family moved away from religion or from organized religion. Um, and that, I think was a good thing for me because I didn't have that that destruction in my head as much as some of my other friends did and people that committed took their own lives over that and everything so anyway I kind of rambled around a lot and I hope that I gave you some uh, uh, interesting information that you got something out of this I appreciate being able to talk about it. If you live in Wyandotte County, would you please support Equality Kansas? We're getting ready to uh, start putting out big feelers for getting something organized over there. I've been with Equality Kansas Metro KC for a long time, and they've done great work. They're talking about us all over the world now in Northeast Kansas, believe it or not. They're talking about, we're nationally known for the incredible um, gains that we've made in human rights. So you all, I know a lot of you, support human rights to the hilt like I do. Please supporting us because we need that more than anything else. And I appreciate the openness and the welcome here. Thank you. You want to take some, some questions? I think we're going to take a couple questions here uh, from Tom. Thank you again, Tom. Appreciate that very much. Hello. Hi. Thank you for coming. Um, I'm Mexican and queer. Well, um, my story is when I was very young, you know, I, uh, I found this guy very, very attractive, and we have a family member who's gay. This dude is gay, you know, but he was a friend. And my mom loved him and respected him very much, you know. So I was like, okay, well, she's cool with him. Like, she's going to be cool with me, you know. So I told her, well, mom, what would you think if I was gay, you know? Because at that age, I didn't know that you could be bi. I thought you were either gay or straight, you know. So I told her, and she goes, no son of mine is going to be up, you know. <laughs> so I hid it for a long time, up until like six years ago, I finally admitted to myself. And matter of fact, like, Last March, I finally told my siblings that I'm queer. My mom still doesn't know. She, I still hide that from her. So I want to thank you for being who you are. Oh, I appreciate that. And I just want to tell you that it does get better. And I never told my dad. He was dying of cancer when I came out to my mom. And I just felt like I couldn't do that to him. Although, when I look back on it now, I think he would have kind of went like, oh, okay. You know, but I appreciate where you're coming yeah, from. You know, I don't tell her because I'm like, yeah, she's going to die soon, you know, like, or whatever. She's like, she'll be okay if not knowing. Like, right. I don't, I don't benefit, but she doesn't benefit from you knowing. So, like, it's pointless to have that. You know, I already pissed her off because I'm 80, so I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I always tell everybody, I have a family member that's coming to terms with stuff. And I say, you come out when it's comfortable for you. Don't let other people tell you when you should come out or not come out or whatever. So good luck with your journey. Um, I do a lot of work in Kansas City, Kansas. I work in a lot of churches. I've worked in some Hispanic churches recently. 
And the ones I worked in seemed to be not very friendly towards uh, LGBT. And uh, I only, really, I only worked in one, and I talked to the pastor quite a bit about it. And I'm just wondering, what's your experience with Hispanic churches in Kansas City, Kansas? Are they like the one I worked in, or what, what are you experiencing? Well, that's a, that's a good point. Like, remember in the beginning, beginning I said that my experience probably isn't, I don't think I said probably, but isn't um, what everybody else, it's not probably not the norm. But I think that with some of those conservative churches, um, you're right. There's a lot of homophobia. There is a culture um, of, uh, that, of homophobia in Central and South America. However, there are some incredible uh, anomalies, like Mexico City was one of the first places to, to uh, pass same-sex marriage, you know, before we did, you know. Um, a lot of countries in Central and South America have a lot better um, uh, LGBT rights laws than we do here. But there are, you know what, it's kind of like the black community in some ways is there are these churches that are incredibly homophobic, incredibly unsupportive, and it's my way or the highway, you know. And I think that your experience is probably true for a lot of places. I hear stuff from other people. I won't, I don't like to go into those areas anymore, you know. I don't go to their churches or anything like that. Uh, they usually don't invite us anyway, you know. But then I see other churches that they'll ignore it, you know, and be accepting of it. And then there's uh, other churches that are totally open, like Methodists, Presbyterians. Um, but there's some of those Assemblies of God. I'm sorry for pointing this out, folks. Assemblies of God Pentecostal, they are very harsh about how they feel about homosexuality, you are going to hell. That's their attitude. And if you don't change, forget it. I just want to say thank you for what you guys are doing. This is a kick-ass organization, and they have caused more trouble in this metro area than almost any organization. So if you see them trying to get an NDO in Olathe or somewhere like that, be sure and support them. Thank you, Daryl. Thanks, Daryl. Uh, we'll take one more. Um, I'm, uh, I'm a little confused by your, uh, your career outcomes. So it is okay to be a gay accountant, but you could not be a gay translator? I feel like I'm missing some context. Well, no, that's okay. That's, it is confusing because what you have is um, in, the, in the late 70s and early 80s, you couldn't be gay in the service, in the, United, in the Air Force, Army, Marines, or any of that. So... Um, it hasn't been until, the, what, the past five or six, ten years, maybe, that you could be openly gay in the military. We had don't ask, don't tell under President Clinton. You know, as long as you didn't tell anybody and nobody was supposed to ask you, you could be gay. But in, I was in the service from 77 to late 85, and homosexuality was the premier reason you could be removed from service because you were a threat to national security. So be being an well, accountant but the, th the thing of it is, and the thing of it is, is um, 
they had this weird reasoning that if somebody came and I had sex with them and everything, that I was going to spill all the secrets of the government to them, even though it was straight people that were doing it at, in <laughs> Moscow and other... I'm not picking on straight people. I'm just saying um, <laughs> that anybody can, can uh, violate their oath. You're not going to violate it just because you're gay. Did I answer your question? Okay. I, I was just going to say, I, Tom and I have been friends for ages, and he's talked me into uh, marching with Equality Kansas in the Central Avenue Parade a couple of times. And um, I, I had not, I didn't have the faintest idea what this was the first time he talked me into it. If you've never been to it, I highly recommend it. Um, you know, very strongly Hispanic groups, and um, one of them came with a fabulous drag queen, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but you know, everybody was really welcoming, and at the beginning of it, this is like a late September, early October, late September. and it's, it's kind of like a, a, a warm-up to Halloween for the kids around there, only you, you know, people go by and give them candy, so they just kind of stand in place. And when he first started handing out candy, he was like, okay, here, here's some candy, you can give it, and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, are we encouraging children to take candy from gay strangers? <laughs> And he's like, yes, and I'm like, I like a little thing of Skittles. I'm like, here, kid, taste the rainbow. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's really neat. I mean, I've lived in KCK off and on over the years, and um, I, uh, it was really, really neat to see, like, the community and the diversity. And they were very, very welcoming of the Equality of Kansas group, so... That was, a, that was a nice thing to see. And if you've never been to that parade, you should check it out. It's really awesome. One more round of applause for Tom. Thank you. Thank you very much.
I've seen the bloody hand of that red-headed man that tied that bird to fly. Throw the mask tied to the ugly faces of the lies that red-handed man. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to the Oasis Network podcast. Across the nation, a new movement is growing, a community movement where people are more important than beliefs, where reality is known through reason, and where meaning comes from making a difference. It's called Oasis, a place for secular individuals families to learn, celebrate life, find social support, and give back to their community. To find an Oasis gathering in your area, or for information about starting an Oasis, visit www.peoplearemoreimportant.org.